Good Sunday morning, Iowa. It's Dr. Rick Godding. Thanks uh, for joining me here today. It's, of course, if you've listened before, you know that I record this on Wednesdays, and this is Sunday morning, so right now, where I should be is waking up in Isle, Minnesota, after catching bucket loads of fish with my daughter <laughs> and headed home. So I, we do daddy-daughter weekends every summer. And I take each one of my daughters for a long weekend. And then the mom takes the other one at the same time. And yeah, it's been a really good tradition we've got going. And it's really nice to have one-on-one time. If you have more than one kid, it's tough to get one-on-one time with them. So it's really valuable. But we are... Headed up to Isle, Minnesota, which is on Lake Millac, M-I-L-L-E-L-A-C-S. And supposedly there's supposed to be a lot of uh, walleye in this lake, and I love walleye. And so we're getting, uh, we're going to do on a boat for like a four-hour boat fishing expedition, and then the rest of the time we'll be doing it from shore, and then we're going to rent some side-by-side, a side-by-side, and uh, they have this thing up there called the Sioux Line Trail, and it's a dirt road trail that goes farther than we could go in a day, for sure, and so I'm really excited. We've been to Minnesota before, this daughter, Madison, and I, on our daddy-daughter weekends. We uh, we went up to, uh, not quite to Ely, and we went up and looked for Lake Superior agates, and uh, that was fun. And my other daughter, Sydney, we went down to near Keokuk and got geodes. And so last couple of years I've been fishing, and then this year is going to be fishing again. I just like fishing with the girls. They enjoy it. We don't do a ton of it. As a matter of fact, I would say we hardly do any of it outside of uh, our daddy-daughter weekends. And uh, it's, we, it's, it's so busy Especially during the school year, it is just so busy all the time. I shouldn't say we never do any. We do a little bit, but uh, it's just so busy with the school year and the activities and everything. We don't really get this time to to relax a little bit, and that's why I love summer so much with the girls. And so, so that's where I am right now is either finishing up breakfast or already on the road home from from uh, Lake Mill Lock and hopefully like I said with a big cooler full of fish in the back and so I got a six month follow up on the the balloon that we use for massive rotator cuff tears so I'm just going to briefly kind of go over the difference between a massive rotator cuff tear and then a and then a smaller rotator cuff tear and what the options are and then I'm going to give some detail on this uh, on this balloon that I'm starting to get the six month feedback on. So a rotator cuff is of course the tendons that move the shoulder around. So the muscles are deep inside the shoulder. The muscle you can feel on your shoulder if you grab your shoulder that's your deltoid muscle, and this moves the shoulder as well specifically it moves it just straight out to the side and then the top of the rotator cuff does the first few degrees of that and then the deltoid takes over 
So that becomes important when there's a massive tear. And then the, the other rotator cuff tendons, the infraspinatus and the supraspinatus, I mean, sorry, the infraspinatus and the subscapularis and the teres minor. So the supraspinatus is on top. Supra means above. Spinatus means the spine of the scapula. So the scapula has a little, the scapula is a shoulder blade and it has a little spine on it. And above that is the muscle body of the supraspinatus and below it is the muscle body of the infraspinatus and then the teres minor. The subscapularis is comes from the front of the scapula. So if you've ever seen a shoulder blade, you can kind of get an idea of what all that's about. Anyway, so they move the shoulder around, rotating it, and then moving it out to the side. So the rotator cuff tendons, the tendons of those four muscles come together in a cuff, and there's re, it's really just like a sheet. You know, it's, it's hard to actually distinguish where one... If you're looking at a healthy cuff, it's hard to distinguish where one ends and the other starts. But when the supraspinatus tears, oftentimes it's very clear that the supraspinatus tore because you still have the infraspinatus and the subscapularis intact. So you'll see this. You can see anything from a small hole, you know, as small as you can figure, a couple millimeters, to, you know, a, a massive tear of the supraspinatus where the supraspinatus is essentially gone to all of them are torn. And so that really dictates our treatment. If it's a small tear, if it's an incomplete tear, so an incomplete tear doesn't go from one side of the cuff to the other side of the cuff. It just is, I, it's like a fraying of a rope. If, if the rope is made into a sheet and the, the whole thing is starting to fray, that's a, that's a partial thickness tear of the rotator cuff. And for that, we use the Regenin-10, which I had done on my shoulder, which is just one of the most exciting things. There's a few exciting things in shoulder surgery, and I'm going to talk about several of them today, that are within the last five years and are just really, really exciting. So the Regenin-10 is what you can use for a partial thickness cuff tear. So I had a partial thickness cuff tear. The story of my shoulder was when I was doing my fellowships in shoulder surgery, I had a small tiny partial thickness cuff tear, but I had what was called impingement. So my my bone of my shoulder blade was impinging down on my cuff. So the guy who I was doing my fellowships with, who was, you know, one of the world's foremost shoulder surgeons, went in and shaved some bone and just trimmed up my rotator cuff a little bit. So that lasted about 12 or 13 years. Then a few years ago, I started having pain. I had a stem cell injection, which helped for a, a year or two, and then a cortisone injection. And then it was finally, it got to the point where I couldn't work out. I couldn't do a push-up. It was really, it was keeping me up at night. And I got an MRI, and it was still a partial thickness tear. Well, previously, you know, years ago, uh, before the Regenin-10 came out, partial thickness tears were very problematic. It was very difficult to treat because... In my case in particular. So if we did not have the Regenin 10, the only thing would be to continue to cover it up with cortisone. And the problem with that is you keep giving these cortisone injections and you weaken the tendon for a short period of time. And at the same time, you get rid of the pain. So you increase the risk of tearing the tendon more. And then, so if you're doing that for years and years and years, oftentimes you go from, you know, not a, not a full thickness tear to the next thing you know, you know, a year later, you have a big, massive tear. So the problem before was that if 
there was no way to really address the partial thickness tear. You could trim it up a little bit and then shave the bone like what was done for me. And that did work and it did help, but it didn't turn around the process of the tear in the cuff because, because there was no way to sort of thicken it up. So what we used to do is you would go in and you would complete the tear. So you'd take a knife and you'd just cut along the fibers of the rotator cuff and then you would tack it down with an anchor like you would with a full thickness tear. And I wasn't going to have that done because that's six weeks in a sling and I wouldn't have been back in the operating room for, well, I could probably have done smaller cases, but I couldn't do knee replacements and shoulder surgery and things that take a lot of, you know, physical motion and strength. So I would have been just out of luck. So I had the Regenitin done and I was back in the operating room 10 days to two weeks later. I don't remember exactly, but it was not. I had it on December 17th and I was back in the operating room the first week in January. So, you know, it's just been a tremendous improvement of how we're able to take care of partial thickness tears. Now, moving along the 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 progression of of your rotator cuff tears, you then have a full thickness tear. And if it's a small full thickness tear, you will put one anchor into the bone. So right where it's supposed to attach, you just put a, an anchor and there are different materials of anchors and, and they have sutures in them. And, and so you tie the suture down and then usually you'll rough up the bone in the area where, where you want the tendons to stick down and you tie it down tight to the bone and then the bone and the tendon heal together in scar tissue and you're good to go. And you would do that from a small tear of, you know, just barely can see through it to then if it gets to be a bigger tear, like the size of a quarter, then you usually, by the time it gets to the size of a quarter, you're using four anchors and what we call a double row fixation two towards the, the head of like, like towards your neck on the head of the humerus and two towards your shoulder on the head of the humerus. And then we cross tie those together and those do very, very well until you get to something about the size of a half dollar. And then we we start to consider that a massive tear. Now, historically, these were treated with a bunch of different ways, and they were they tried to attach things to the end of the tendon and then to the bone, and none of that, that just never worked. And so what people... If you couldn't get it down, you would either do one of a few things. Sometimes you would just trim it up and leave it alone and then say, well, there's nothing else we can do. That's not a good answer anymore for sure. It wasn't a good answer then, but it was what we had. Sometimes people would tack it down, and there's still people strongly advocate that you know just tacking down what you can get tacked down is a good operation. And I've done a lot of those, and you know sometimes they fail. Well, now with the Regenitan, uh, we can put the Regenitan on top of that. And so what the Regenitan does is it, it thickens up the cuff, just like it would in a partial thickness tear. So you now have sort of some insurance. Now, I've still had a massive tear with a Regenitan graft on it fail. Um, all, of these are, all of these can fail. I mean, the they, rotator cuff repairs fail, and they fail... The higher, the bigger the tear is, the higher percentage that they fail. Once you get to the point where you can't fix it, you know you can't fix it, then you know there's two options, and that's a reverse total shoulder 
or a superior capsule reconstruction. I'm a big believer in the superior capsule reconstruction because I have had great success with it. I've had, I've done hundreds of them, maybe two or three failures, but even of those failures, a couple of them still ended up doing well and didn't need any other surgery. So, and the reason for that they believe is that sometimes when they fail, they fail on the socket side rather than on the bone side. And so if it fails on the socket side, you still have that, that piece of graft that you've used for the superior capsule reconstruction covering the head. And so it provides a cushion between the top of the humerus and the underside of the acromion, which is part of the shoulder blade. I know it's kind of a lot of anatomy, especially if you're just driving along, (laughs) but, but the idea is if you have a partial thickness tear, we put on the regen and 10 and that will thicken up your cuff and actually provide a, a, it will make the cuff stronger and thicker. If you have a small tear, we put an anchor in. If you have a bigger tear, we put multiple anchors in. If it's a massive tear, we put multiple anchors in plus a Regenitin, or we do a superior capsular reconstruction or a reverse total shoulder replacement. Now, I don't like to do a reverse total shoulder replacement for a rotator cuff deficient shoulder. However, some patients will also have arthritis in the shoulder joint, and this can be confusing to people because arthritis in the shoulder joint, when I say shoulder arthritis, I mean the ball and the socket are arthritic. On the, uh, There's also the acromioclavicular joint, which is where the collarbone hits the shoulder blade, and that can be arthritic too, and that's a different deal. You just shave off the end of the collarbone there uh, with a burr, and then they don't touch anymore. It doesn't hurt. But if you have arthritis in the ball and the socket, then you have to replace the shoulder. So if you have arthritis with the ball in the socket and you have a rotator cuff tear, you have to do this reverse total shoulder. So that's usually what those are done for. So um, now this newest treatment that I was talking about when I got started is the balloon. So the balloon, if you have a massive cuff tear and you do not have arthritis in your shoulder joint, you can put the balloon in and it, it just, it's a saline balloon. It's, it's uh, a lot like a breast implant, actually. And you put it in and you blow it up and the patients can do very well with that. Now this thing dissolves over about two years and then eventually, likely the patient's going to need something else. So what it is, is it's a placeholder. Well, or if you have somebody who's just not a good candidate for I mean, some people use walkers and they can't do the rehabilitation for the rotator cuff or the superior capsule reconstruction or the total shoulder or whatever. So this is a good way to treat those people. And even if you have to redo it, at least they get some number of years without pain. So I've done uh, some of these. I'm starting to get the six months in. The one guy who came back to me last week had full range of motion. He had had a, he had had a massive rotator cuff tear without any arthritis. He's a self-employed truck driver, and he said, there's just no way I can have either a shoulder replacement or superior capsule reconstruction and be in a sling for six weeks and not drive. He said, I do, I do not have the, I just can't do that. I can't stop my business for six weeks. I said, totally understand. And he actually waited around quite a while before we finally got the, the codes uh, so we could actually do this implant. And I saw him at six months, and he has full range of motion and good strength and he's super happy with it and he's six months out. So I'm I'm real excited about this. It's, you know, one of the real exciting things about shoulder surgery. And the other day, those of you who listen 
often had last time I had a patient on was a guy who I had done both of his shoulder resurfacing. So that's a, that's a different thing. It's not what I've been talking about since we're talking about shoulders. I'm going to throw it in. So the shoulder resurfacing is the type of replacement that I do and it has some special, um, has some, some special characteristics. One is that you don't cut the head off. You just put a metal cap on the head and preserve 90% of the head. And so you're not, not putting a stem down the bone. And that helps with the pain and the recovery and stuff like that. And it gives you some bone to work with if you have to have something done later. On the socket side, instead of covering the whole socket, we only put an inlay on the socket. So the middle of the socket, about the size, a little bit bigger than between a diamond and nickel, we inlay some polyethylene in there. And so that is called a load sharing device, and that allows you to do whatever you want afterwards. So you don't have to, if you have a regular shoulder replacement, with a regular glenoid, there's, you know, weight restrictions and things like that. So the guy that I had on for an interview had, he's, uh, I can't remember, he's in his 60s, early 60s, or late 50s, pretty sure it's early 60s. And uh, he had been um, top 10 in his age division in, in the World CrossFit Championships. And just the other day, out of nowhere, I got a text from him, and it showed him doing kind of a swing pull-up. I'm not sure what you would call it. So he was standing in front of the pull-up bar and he jumped up and he swung up and then he all of a sudden was holding himself up above the pull-up bar with his hands. It's a very athletic and gymnastic thing and uh, he's very happy with his shoulders. Now, I, I, I will say that that's, that's a lot. Um we certainly let people do whatever they want, but that's, uh, I think he's going to try to push it as hard as he possibly can, but that one's a lot. So, so anyway, that's kind of the, that's the, uh, the story, uh, on that stuff today. And, uh, I wanted to just give a shout out to, to, uh, Tom and Jeannie Harbison. Haven't seen them in a while. And, uh, Tom and Jeannie, good friends of ours over in Adele. And uh, I know they listen, and um, i got to get over there and say hello to them and the rest of our Adel crew. But uh, other than that, I hope to be uh, enjoying fish for a long time, and next week I'll let you know how that did. Um, and, uh, and I hope everybody's having a happy, healthy summer. And so uh, with that, you have a blessed week, Iowa.